Hello and welcome to series two of The Joy of Writing. I'm your host, Mark Carew. In this series, I will be talking to authors about the fun, the satisfaction, the joy they get from their writing, whether it's prose fiction, narrative non-fiction or poetry. In this episode, I'm talking with Andy MacDonald again. We hear about life after publication of the Somnambulist cookbook last year, and we also discuss the effect of the COVID-19 lockdown on the creative process. So, Andy, your first collection of poems, the Somnambulist cookbook, came out last year um, in June. I imagine that was um, a great uh, event in your life. It, it was. It is kind of a strange thing. I mean, you kind of, you know, as a writer, you're sort of thinking about our first book. I mean, I've been thinking about our first book for, I guess, about 20 years. I mean, I, I, I kind of sat on this collection for the best part of a decade, moderating it, changing bits, taking things out, and so on. Um, mainly because, you know, life had happened. I'd had two children. Uh, that kind of took precedence. We, I was running a small press. Uh, my professional life was kind of gearing up elsewhere in education. Mm -hmm. So poetry became sort of secondary. So when it eventually arrived, it was a it, it was a, it was a wonderful feeling. And it's still, you know, I still look at it and can't quite believe it's, it's a bit like children. You kind of look yeah. at your children and think, you know, is that really like a small version of me? Um, books are a bit like that. They're kind of like a small version of. of <laughs> <laughs> subconscious and darker moments I guess um, but yeah I, I think it's it's it, it's an extraordinary feeling to have have a book uh, have a thing yeah. someone said to me you know that's that's something you've made uh, and, and it hadn't kind of you know that hadn't occurred to me I thought yeah that's true that's a lovely way of looking at it you know that something you crafted something even if it's read with a handful of people or if a book comes a bestseller the fact is still you've made something is, is a is a great feeling it is it's a very powerful feeling isn't it um yeah so that you can actually hold something tangible in your hands and say yeah. i made this i mean that's a that, that is a very uh, strong emotion indeed um and how how did you get on with um sort of all the post-publication events and readings and that type of thing well it coincided with my press celebrating their 20th anniversary mm -hmm. um so salt had lined up a few events um the first one was actually in may 2019 at dragon hall part of the Nor uh, norwich and norfolk festival uh and that was that was great because we were in in this kind of 13th century uh merchants hall or dragon's hall yeah off king street in norwich so in this amazing venue the acoustics are amazing mm. uh and there was a great turnout it was it was a really lovely event so i had this kind of sort of double celebration celebration of myself and three other writers that shared the yeah. stage publishing their books plus the fact that salt you know for an independent publisher have been around 20 years which is which is impressive yes um, it is. you know given the climate so so we did that event i i did a personal event um in a bar i used to work in the city center in norwich and i had some bands play live um that's you know that people in those bands have supported me over the years and me them i had kind of you know people from uh, friendship circle that were writers come along and read their work yeah. so it was kind of a proper party and that was that was lovely and that was on a Sunday night you know so there was just punters roaming in as well so you know strangers roaming in uh, looking quite terrified by the idea of poetry uh, but yeah it was lovely so we did these events I did a, an event through my 
place of work, the university centre where I work, we had a kind of launch there as well. So lots of little things. Yeah. Um, and lots of avenues. And then and then I've done kind of readings here and there, and I've got some readings booked up in the year. We did Albra Festival. That was that again was with Salt for their twentieth anniversary. Right. Okay. That's you nice. know, Albra was great fun. Yeah. And and pub, public speaking, I imagine for the poet is just second nature. Yeah, I mean, never used to be. I used to I used to kind of be filled with abject terror when I was younger. But, <laughs> but um, there is there is something about it that, that over the years has become oddly enjoyable. And I think because I'm in teaching, uh, I'm in teaching this performance anyway, so it becomes second nature. Uh, you almost you almost kind of go in persona. What, what I tend to do is start with a song. So I, I use this old Scots lullaby, uh, right. and and I don't announce it; I just sing it, and it, it's quite a nice way of just settling a room. Yeah, it, it's this kind of very haunting lullaby, uh, and and it just it just suddenly kind of you know you see everyone just kind of sit back, yes, uh, and then launch into a poem. So so there's a kind of performative element to it as well. Yeah, lovely idea. I mean. Um... I, I, did, I did some and I, I like to stand up and do it and you know yeah. properly declaim it from the stage not sit down at the desk I've yeah. had for sitting down at the desk you, you mentioned that you get into sort of persona um, I think it's it's a sense of that when when you think about poetry as a song which I do I tend to think of it as lyrical and as song like yeah. there is there is you know, there's a school of poets that will, will deliberately be anti-performance and then will read very dryly and very monotonely and so on. And that's, an, you know, that's kind of an intellectual decision. I kind of like the performative aspects of it uh, in the sense that, that the poems can create a atmosphere, uh, a musical atmosphere. So I kind of think, well, that there's a kind of, there's a way to be, there's a way that they can be read almost in character. You know, yes. the, the narrator is not me. The narrator is like it like would be in fiction somewhere else or somebody else um so often when i'm reading or practicing reading i want to try and find the voice that mm. i've written it in which is often different to the voice that's that's spoken out loud and the, these voices or personas they're um different for each poem or, or you have several you can choose from that are appropriately i think that i think they're different i think that mm. sometimes i mean this might sound confusing that they're the same but different <laughs> Right. In the sense that, no, that's that, perfectly understandable. <laughs> that sometimes I think as well that we 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 take for granted our own personalities that we we are so sure of you know who and what yeah. we are. Okay. And I think actually what's going on at the moment with lockdown has probably challenged a lot of people in terms of who and what they are. We're suddenly faced with spending a lot of time with ourselves. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's that, that's kind of an interesting thing. So I think you know there there is a sense sometimes with characters as well that there's this. Um, that the, they're one person in one poem, and it may be the same narrator, but they're then somebody else, depending on what they're talking about and who they're talking to. So the, the same but different in the way of you know you see a different side of yourself, different facet of your character and personality coming out in these these things. Yeah, or, or possibly things from the unconscious, mm. the subconscious that you hadn't kind of expected. Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm finding particularly at the moment is that I am I'm finding because I'm not having that many new experiences you know right. when I go out into the world there's all these all these different random permutations things that can happen you know I, I commute to Peaceborough so there might be a random incident on the train there might be a random incident I'm walking on the street 
and all these different things happen and then I go to sleep and my subconscious deals with all those things. Mm -hmm. During lockdown, it, it's a bit like, again, you know, spending much more time with yourself. I'm finding that I'm thinking about events and decisions I made, say in 1992 or, <laughs> you know, 2003 or something. And, and these things are coming up from my memories if my unconscious is kind of going, well, hang on a minute. Um, you know, I need to I need to go through the drawers and get rid of stuff, or I need to paint the front door, or I need to do the backyard a bit yeah. like I'm doing physically. So I think there's this this strange thing of of the unconscious mind at work um, finding and discovering or remembering things or misremembering things that then become poems or, or whatever. Mm. Um, so I, th I think there's those connections. I think there's the sense with all writing that it's coming from somewhere else. Yeah, um, I don't mean a magical place, but but a sense of somewhere else in, in terms of things that maybe aren't in a conscious mind. So a, a place where things are normally hidden from you and might influence you, literally unconsciously. Yeah, I think I think this this strange the strange thing of, of living in both kind of a visual, and uh, sort of. Um, individual culture where you know one minute we are seeing things visually but we're arriving at them with with all our wealth of experience mm. and ideas and how they can trigger things or, or alter things perhaps um that that's that that's what i like as a writer um and that's what i like in terms of performance as well that's the mm -hmm. sense that you're then you're then bringing back these things these different elements that may or may not connect yes um but certainly when they're together they have an accumulative power uh, which is which? What I think was what a poem is, right? And lockdown is going to have a great effect on people, creative people. Um, I mean, we you know just wait for the slew of COVID nineteen virus novels, and there's enough of them out there anyway. Um, Boris Johnson's father, yes. <laughs> right, yes. Um, I, so I was thinking, so lockdown has sort of brought you up and sort of shown you a different side of yourself in the mirror. Do you, I mean, do you think mm. you'll you'll have that? influencing you in in the work you produce now um it, i mean it has been this week so uh -huh. i was talking to i was talking to my other half uh she she writes and she reads a lot um and and we're both sort of talking about the fact how hard it is to read i mm. really struggle to sit down with a novel and actually pay attention i just seem to feel like there's constant you know low level anxiety there in the background i mean actually i would say not that low level really um mm. So I think as a as a writer, what's starting to happen is this this week I've started to write a series of what I call devotion or devotional poems. Yeah. That that are that are kind of around a kind of sense of trying to trying to grasp that at these things that are coming up from the unconscious. I didn't want to write just about lockdown or the virus or no. or like because I felt that that's too on the nose for me for my for my own craft. You know, it's not something yeah. that, that I want to explore. But what I'm getting instead is this sense of after a few months of this, that other things are coming up and and I'm suddenly, you know, I mean, the last few days I've written something like twelve, thirteen, fourteen poems, wow. prose poems that are devote you know different devotions. So devotion mm -hmm. as I think one's called devotion as a as a battleship off the coast of Scotland, devotion as a uh, care home in Wilmington. So there's suddenly all these kind of random, random poems that, that are kind of focusing on these various memories and oddities of life. Um, 
which is really exciting. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to work yet. But, but. Very much. I mean, so, so no, no shortage of creative power. Um, no, it, it, it's coming through. I mean, I was really worried. I was really worried for about two months. But then, but then I remembered that, that um, and I don't know, this this may sound familiar to you, but I, I kind of feel that, I kind of think about it in terms of a vessel. So I feel like I'm filling up. Yes. And then, and then it just spills over. Yeah. And um, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I can't write every day. I'm not that kind of writer. Yeah. I'm someone that kind of, it comes in fits and bursts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it almost, it almost, you almost can feel it coming on. It's kind of a weird thing like it's, it's like some sort of storm rumbling in and you're just going to have a few days of intense writing and then and then it disappears for a couple of weeks again um, i imagine it as the uh, the well of inspiration oh, okay yeah. so it, it, it is a container that fills up with something mm. and then you then you can empty it and um and produce you know you can write a few things and if you keep emptying it too often then you have to wait for it to fill up again yeah, there's a, lovely, there's a lovely essay by Tom Gunn about that where he talks about right. sort of the idea of doing a raid on your unconscious and coming back with booty. You know, you come back with these, these treasures and, and they yes. may not make sense as a whole, but the fragments of them together create something. And you mm. know, that's kind of a lovely idea. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's that feeling of, of it's, a, it's a really strange one. And I, I think I have to remind myself if I feel blocked, the reason I'm blocked is that, that it's um, it's because it's because I'm processing, so I just need to wait and be patient, yeah. and it will yeah. it will happen again. I was very influenced by what Stephen King wrote in his book on writing about the boys in the back room. Okay. So you know, if you're stuck anywhere in whatever you're writing, just send a message to your unconscious and say, "Look, let let me know what the answer is in the morning, would you?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh, I mean, that always works. I think it's amazing, and uh, you know, he he's obviously um, he's obviously tapped into that. Um, yes. From the reaction to Somnambulist Cookbook, was there anything more that you, more poems you'd like to write in a particular style or a particular subject? A anything that went down so well you thought, oh, I'll, I'll do some more of those? Yeah, th there was something that quite odd. So, um, I work in Peterborough and mm. I run a kind of uh, evening there, a kind of literary events. And we had, um, I can't remember which poet it was, we had some poets come over to Peterborough to read. And one of the audience members said, oh, you know, I was at University of Nottingham and the stanza group there have picked your book. And I was really <laughs> amazed, you know, I thought that's lovely. You know, so, so suddenly there was this, this little group over in Nottingham um, that were reading my poems, which was, which was a really lovely, lovely thing. So I got in touch with the guy and said, you, you know, this is great, I'm really touched they've chosen it. Um, really, you know, really happy to answer any questions. But he came back and, and he, said, he said, he said, oh, some people said it was like, it was a bit like, um, it was a kind of English psychedelia running through it in kind of, <laughs> in the sense of the Beatles, mm. Samuel Beckett. Yeah. Um, now Beckett, I've not read much of, but I kind of like his, I like his kind of difficult, weird stuff that he does. Mm. But I'm not a massive fan of the Beatles, so I kind of found that really interesting because my sister used to play them so much. She kind of killed them for me when I was right. them. <laughs> but what what it did tap into was something that I have been interested in, which is this kind of English, English kind of weird psychedelic pastoral uh, oddness, and and I try and I try and kind of pin that down a bit more. So there's really fascinating things around something called ontology, so stuff like Ghost Box Records, 
um, this sense of trying to understand these lost futures. That, that's one element that's interesting. And it's been something I've been working on without really understanding until recent years that that was what I was working on. So poems like those dark ants in there, for example. Mm. So the devotional pieces, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of playing that a lot more. Um, and, and taking in sort of some of the, what we might call more pedestrian things of British culture. Right. Um, so, you know, I, you know, one of the new poems I've written is about the fact that my auntie was in a care home in Wilmington in Dartford. Uh, and there's a there was a guy there that always sang Christmas songs on the time of the year, but also it's the place where where Mick and Keith met, you know, in Dartford. So it's this kind of odd thing of singing, and the Dartford warbler, which is this bird, and all these things suddenly connecting together into uh-huh, this, uh-huh. this okay. strange this strange kind of amalgamation of of, of what I would term kind of slightly slightly weird wonk English psychedelia. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. interested in that sort of um, that kind of element to it, and and trying to trying to bring disparate things together yeah uh, under one roof in each poem and 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 uh and seeing where that takes me essentially i mean it sounds like you 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 got that that creative skill of um linking disparate elements together yeah i mean that's that's great i mean you know that that, you know that's very kind of you to say i mean you know i'd I'd like that to be the case (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure it is Um, (laughs) i was i was touched by um by a writer called David Berman, who uh, was a singer in a 90s band called Silver Jews, and he wrote a book of poetry called Achillaire. Uh Sadly, I mean, sadly, he took his life last year, wasn't he? He was 51. Mm. But he he um, he wrote these amazing poems, and when I, when I read them, I just thought, that's it, you know, that's that's kind of what I've been trying to express. And it, it was mm. just really fascinating to think that there there is this generational thing, perhaps, of um, people writing this way. I'm going to see it in the work of, say, like a Faber poet like uh, Sam Riviere, and then many others, this kind of sense of something something weird about culture and the signs in our culture and the way they can be sort of reinterpreted and, and thought through and, and tackled. Um, that, that, that to me is really fascinating. Mm. But, I mean, David Berman is, a, is an extraordinary, or was an extraordinary songwriter as well as, as poet. Wow. I mean... Sounds like you you were having no problem with writer's block. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> the well of inspiration yeah. is overflowing. Well, I meant to be I meant to be doing a load of fiction for a PhD, and, and uh, I've got you know I've got a supervisory meeting tomorrow, and I haven't actually done what I was meant to do, so I'll probably get in trouble for 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 doing the wrong thing, <laughs> going off on a different tangent. But yeah, I mean, it's fits and starts. I do get blocks. The ideas are there. It's sometimes the sitting down to actually mm. get them to work. Get it going. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I think you can do it too early. I think there's sometimes a sense that if you try and write too early before the process has worked through, mm-hmm. you can end up sort of misfiring a little. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's not always a need to rush. You, no. you could just leave it to stew; it'll work itself out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's there's a kind of advice that you hear again and again in workshops, and it's one I use when I'm teaching the idea of, mm-hmm. you know, you write something and leave it in the drawer. Yes, for, for, absolutely. You know, a couple of months or how yeah. long it takes yeah and and actually that is that is really good advice yeah you know that is really good advice and i think it's always interesting to come back to poems uh or anything any kind of writing later yeah because uh, you can often then you, what you've lost is that initial excitement of the fact of you know i've written something you know yeah. kind of chasing your tail in excitement um 
I think you can see it much more in a much more clear-headed way, can't you, Lisa? Much more objective way. Absolutely, objectively, fresh eyes, fantastic. Uh, that's that's excellent advice. Um, uh, this is a great education for me, and I hope for other people as well. Um, terrific to hear how the creative process works for you. Absolutely amazing. Um, thank you so much, Andy. In the next episode, Andy McDonnell has advice for aspiring writers based on his own experience of teaching creative writing, and he tells us about a collection of poetry that he found influential.